mythology friends. I'm Kate. And I'm the other Jen. <laughs> and we're the mythology gals. I it's gonna be one of those episodes. I've been saying this literally since the moment we got on Zencaster. Yes, it's been quite a day. It's a Monday that we're recording this, and oh my god, it's been a very, very Monday. Monday. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. And, and then you had to go and throw off the the routine where it, you guys don't hear this because we don't. It happens before we hit record. But <laughs> Kate, it's like it's almost part of the script. It Kate almost will really say, is. "What's your line?" What you ready? And my line is, "No, but here we go." <laughs> or I say, "No, but oh well." <laughs> or you're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's always no, but, but blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but today, you didn't even ask. I was like, I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to hit record. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, I could hear her start to wheeze as she tries to hold it in. I was. <laughs> but I, I, you know, we always, Jen and I always have like a couple minutes chit chat organizing and yeah. getting ourselves set up. Um, as we before we record, and yeah. I've I've mentioned several times already to her that this is going to be one of those episodes. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, oh, I was in a ragey mood. Oh yeah, like, from the beginning of the day, from minute one, I I was just I woke up on the rage side of the bed today. <laughs> I think that's going to be a new T-shirt. I woke up <laughs> on the rage side of the bed, <laughs> but you know. I, I and I told her I think today's episode is going to be a really good one for you, very cathartic, because <laughs> I hope so. I can't believe I have to do a fucking another one of these episodes about our favorite skull crushing feminists. Oh, aka the Scythians, aka ancient Ukrainians. Ah, okay. But here we are, a year into this goddamn war. And mm. we here at Drunk Mythology Gals are still 100% Team Ukraine. Yes, absolutely. Yes. However, with the passing of this, you know, last week and a half or so, um, it has been kind of heartwarming and kind of sort of almost restores a little faith in humanity to see how everyone is doing their part to troll Russia. Okay. Um, specifically the government of Russia, because I don't think the people of Russia are getting a full picture of anything okay so right. you know this is this is all those who choose to collude with the government that i'm talking about but yeah this is a sad one-year marker of a war that totally didn't fucking have to happen right and really when you get down to it it really only happened because putin is getting senile and thinking he's saving the former glory of the soviet union which by the way didn't even make it a full century because because it sucked so bad <laughs> Oh, I mean, think about it. Like it started in 1919 and ended in 1990 something or other because it was a little murky there for a little bit. But yeah, you'll have to cover some of that when we ever get around to the re-education of other Jeff. Uh, oh, we will do little series on growing up fearing Soviet Union. Yes. But amidst all the TikTok videos and live protests, Science magazines and archaeology magazines are also 
doing their part to stick it to Putin. Oh, I love this. And uh, you know me, I get a little evil giggly when scientists and researchers get feisty. (laughs) Because they have receipts. (laughs) (laughs) We have the receipts, motherfucker. So anyway, like we did this year, we are still supporting World Central Kitchen. Yes. Um, Not only for their work in helping the refugees of Ukraine, but also for their work in Turkey and Syria with earthquake victims. Um, Oh, yeah. Hunger has no border and food insecurity doesn't belong to a political party. So, you know, hunger is hunger and no one should on this earth with our resources and technology. No one should have to be hungry ever. Amen. Yeah. Yep. And this year, and hopefully this is the last year I'll have to say this, I would like to add a new charity that I am personally very involved with. Oh, Um, yeah. It's called Tip of the Spear Landmine Removal. And it was started by one man, Ryan Hendrickson. Um, I've worked with him on his websites. And um, he was a Green Beret who literally had his leg blown off by an IED in Afghanistan. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, like... I don't say that in the sense of like, oh my gosh, that's never happened to anyone because no, but like, sadly that happens to way too many people, but... Exactly. Now... You've met somebody firsthand. I've... I mean, this is like two degrees is, of separation. He is the nicest salt of the earth guy you will wow. ever meet. He is just so amazing and brave without realizing how brave he is and you know the doctors saved his leg and he (gasps) literally fought his way back to active duty as a goddamn green beret holy and he did two more tours in afghanistan before retiring (gasps) oh damn right oh wow like holy crap okay thank you for your service oh my god for real oh my gosh and I was uh, like, write him as a hero into a novel. Everybody, right? <laughs> good one, a good novel. Yeah, good, good novel. Well, and good and bad. Every novel needs a. Right? He should hero, be a hero. Hero I mean, in a novel, he already is in real life because. Yes. Last year, he started leading um, in, in March of 2022. Actually, like mm-hmm. just a few weeks after the invasion, he led a small group of veterans um, and other folks uh, trained in landmine removal over to Ukraine. Oh. And he's done it several more times over the course of the past year. And um, he he's done it to help the Ukrainian army, which, you know, they just don't have the resources to spare, literally, to walk roads and fields and dig up and disarm landmines. And so that's what he's been doing. Wow. And, oh my goodness. You know, I watched him as he just started doing this because he felt it was his duty. He had to do something. And now yeah. it's grown into his real mission. And it uh he created Tip of the Spear uh landmine removal as a charity uh that funds trips over to Ukraine to literally walk the fields and remove landmines. So farmers, their equipment, their livestock, children nobody has to, as he says on the website, be afraid of their next step. 
Mm-mm-mm. And I'll include uh, links to both organizations in the show notes. And we here at Drunk Mythology Gals will be making a special donation to each in honor of Ukraine. Yes. Yep. So before we get started, and I know our sacrifices to own this week will seem a little pathetic compared to, oh, I don't know what Ukraine right? is suffering, but I, yeah, it's, what do we have you know, this week? <laughs> everything. <laughs> Fucking everything. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, okay. I have to try to pause and think of any positives going on right now that's not for this segment Jen don't do it no the point is I'm struggling to come up with anything I I um um put a pin in it yeah (laughs) we'll come back to it everything is falling apart everything yeah yeah. Oh, as you were finishing up show notes, what was I doing? I was typing a message to support for one of my softwares at the office. <laughs> the fun never stops. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got the weather. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, uh, we've been having a lot of rain and I'm not going to complain so much about the rain per se because we really 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 need it and I I just learned this week how to say this in French and you're going to laugh at me because I'm going to say it wrong but I'm going to try il fait pluge pluge pleu so I'm trying to say it's pleu il pleu it's raining where does the fait come in il fait you don't need it Oh, well, Duolingo's telling me, il fait plu. What's plouge? Plu, what's that? Uh, uh, or am I just pleuvoir mi- and plurir? Am I mixing up words? Yeah, you're mixing up words. Plu- okay. Pleuvoir is rain and plurir. I is- just got introduced the weather yeah. vocabulary. We'll, we'll like your the- French lesson offline. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, last week uh, we had hail. I I sent you that video of us with hail. What the hail? LA. I was (laughs) promised palm trees and bliss. Oh, and no mosquitoes. LA, you lied to me about the mosquitoes. But anyway. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So, still working on those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a plus. I got one tax task crossed there off the list, but it's like in doing that, how many more things got added to the list? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So I hear your cup rattling. What do you have in it? Um, I because today is a it's a big energy episode day. I have my mm-hmm. might be whiskey cup, and I am drinking Jack. And I, awesome. because it's one of those episodes, I actually brought the bottle in in case I feel oh, for a refill. <laughs> oh, shit. I have water. I, I've been dehydrated. I was dehydrated today. I was like really dehydrated. So I've been chugging water and I, You're it's gonna not enough. I I know I know, but it's it's it is what it is. Uh, don't say I didn't try to warn you. But speaking of warnings, 
oh crap. <laughs> Last week I took notes and we didn't need it. And this week I didn't take notes. Okay, all right. Um Okay, don't drink and drive cars, chariots, eight-legged horses. <laughs> Landmine <laughs> removals. <laughs> that works. <laughs> That works. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's let's just uh, carry on, please. Save me. On. Save me. <laughs> All right. Let's get started. A long time ago, when the world was young and twee little Russian tyrants with Napoleon syndrome hadn't thought that invading Ukraine was a good idea. Oh. So... Really? This episode mm -hmm. should be called When the Skull-Crushing Feminists Met the Soft-Boiled Motherfucker. <gasps> Ooh! Because I'm about to unleash the story of how Ovid yeah. ended up among the ancient Scythians. Okay. Do I need to know who the Scythians are? Are you going to remind me who the yeah. Scythians are? Thank Let, you. Let's do a little quick reminder. <laughs> yes, um, please. Because we, I reread the script I did last year and like I, I went deep into the weeds about them. But this time do we're we just going to do a little quick like three paragraph recap. Do we need to get in our way back machine? Oh, was I supposed to actually try and remember this? Never mind. That's not my job on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the Scythians were a nomadic culture that um, uh, epigenetically originated from Iran somewhere around the 9th century BCE, um, which is about 100 years-ish before Homer and Hesiod, remember those guys in ancient Greece around 800 BC, started doing their little rap battles? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, you know, trying about to one-up each other, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, about 100 to 150 years prior to that, that's okay. when the Scythians started to migrate out of Iran. Okay. And they, because they're nomadic, they spread over what is now today Ukraine and eventually into parts of Russia, Siberia, and also Eastern Europe. Okay. So the Scythians didn't start out having cities per se, although eventually they settled, some settled into villages, focused on agriculture, and eventually they did have cities. But in these early ye old days, this mm -hmm. lack of major cities or capitals made them very hard to conquer. Um, oh. And according to Herodotus, who was an ancient Greek historian who surprisingly got a lot of shit right and called myths out on their bullshit. <laughs> um, Except for my boyfriend, Rear. He is real. <laughs> right. Of course. Sure. <laughs> Let's just roll with that. Um, yeah. He was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Scythians don't fuck with them. That is legit the verdict of pretty much every ancient uh historian or chronicler that mentions the scythian the scythians they're like don't fuck with them got it um basically throughout their history the scythians were not just almost impossible to conquer but they were the badasses you did not want to piss off because their equivalent their equivalent of freshman hazing for a, a new soldier or warrior was to have him or her 
Mm-hmm. Drink the blood of their first man they killed, probably from the skull of another dead enemy that they turned into the equivalent of a travel mug. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I, this is coming back to me. I feel like you mentioned yeah. this. We, yeah. we did talk about the skulls and blood drinking, yeah. hence. Yes. And also the fact that a number of their warriors were women. Yes. Yep. <clears throat> hence skull crushing feminists. Yeah. Love it. And um, the Scythians actually adhered, so far as we can tell, to of a, uh, you know, fairly closely to the ancient Greek pantheon, but they had an especial love for the god Ares, the god of war. Of course. Again, Russia, if you're listening, learn from history. History is here to help. <laughs> it doesn't go well when you attack a culture that worships a god of war no. from their earliest days. I'm right. just fucking saying. <laughs> yeah. Part of what them made them so formidable as fighters wasn't just their innate badassery. They were the masters and mistresses of fighting on horseback. Oh, yeah. Cool. It'd be like pitting a platoon of people on, like, push scooters <laughs> against a platoon of people in Camaros. Oh, nice. You know, okay. That's the you know yeah foot soldier versus horse soldier. Um, yeah. And while other cultures did have cavalries, there was something particularly wild and fierce about these super skilled Scythians. Uh, fun fact: they were the actual inspiration for the Dothraki on the Game of Thrones show. Okay, I, I didn't watch. I wasn't a Game of Thrones huge fan. I, yeah. I know they're supposed to be an ancient horseback riding warrior race. Sure. <laughs> Nothing is new. <laughs> um, but what really set them apart as horseback warriors was that they were devastatingly skilled at archery. Oh. And they had some pretty advanced archery technology, like they had a kind of composite bow. Huh. So when you think of an ancient bow... What do you think of? What comes to mind? Um, a stick, like a tree branch. Mm -hmm. That's just a little bit, it, it's green enough that it's flexible without snapping. And you got like string of some sort. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tie, tied end to end. But in my head, when you say ancient, I'm picturing a, a tree branch. That you know, but that might far be back enough. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that might be too primitive. That, that um, we're, we're yeah, that's uh, that's a little paleolithic. <laughs> but um, you know, I went too far in the wayback machine. You went <laughs> reset, reset, reboot. Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? <laughs> like I said, it's one of those episodes. Anyway, the um, Scythians had a bow that used wood like temper like carved and shaped and treated wood horn okay. sinew which is it's not string it is um muscle right animal muscle that has yeah. been you know i learned about sinew in culinary class there you go we had so, to trim the sinew in gamage <laughs> yeah well 
that's that is a deep dive i write that shit down because i want to hear about that writing it down (laughs) like when you hear you know violin strings were cat gut blah 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 like in ancient cultures yeah (laughs) might have been they made (laughs) use of every part of the animal and was a remarkably strong oh yeah durable very uh material and made for an excellent bowstring I, as you're saying that now, I'm like, oh yeah, shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you're, you have a gut, uh, a <laughs> gut level agreement <laughs> and understanding of that, that even I don't have. So yeah, we're going to talk sinew at some point. Okay. All right. Happy. But nope. These bows were also shorter and lighter than regular bows because they were used for mobility, but mm. the composite technology made them just as powerful. Wow. Which is a total bonus if you were, I don't know, shooting arrows from a galloping horse? Right. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Eventually, though, Rome starts getting ideas about itself, and the Scythians were beginning to like things like bread. <laughs> <laughs> How many times has bread been the downfall of the culture? <laughs> For the downfall of me fitting in my jeans from last May. <laughs> right. So, you know, they started, you know, agriculture started to become more of a thing. And, you know, over centuries, cultures meld, morph, change. And Sarmatia and the Sarmatian culture, which would eventually become what is traditionally considered Slavic culture started mm-hmm. to kind of swallow up Eastern Scythian culture. Okay. So um, settlements grew into cities and ports, uh, um, bringing the Black Sea all around the Black Sea and eventually the Crimea, which is also called the breadbasket of Europe, AKA Russia invaded the shit in 2014 and no one did anything about it a.k.a. give it the fuck back to Ukraine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Russia did a trial run of invading Ukraine in 2014 okay. because they wanted the Crimea, which is, like I said, the, the breadbasket of Europe and uh, also the world because if you've noticed, bread prices go going up. Hmm. Yeah, that and natu- natural gas. Whew, it's been a rough winter. Anyway, um, even here in California. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have a little map here. Yep, you do. It looks like an orange mushroom with a smushed red bell pepper underneath it. I really brought you back in the Wayback Machine to your culinary days, didn't I? <laughs> Tell me that doesn't look like an orange mushroom with a smushed red bell pepper. Personally, I see a, a burger bun oh. with a tomato. Um. Okay. All right. I'm refilling my glass already. <laughs> I hear. <laughs> um, no, this, I recognize the body of water that's on the bottom left, just to the left of the word Arabia on the mm-hmm. map, but I cannot for the life of me remember the name of that body of water. I just recognize the shape of it. Yeah. You don't need to worry about it. So, but the, that's the only piece I recognize. Okay. Well, so the only thing on the map you, I can if identify. You zoom way the fuck in and you see Roman Empire. Yes. 
so that little like fingerling dingleberry at the far left is yeah. Greece. Oh. And then the big okay. landmass to the right. <laughs> I yes. was gonna say erect landmass to the right, semi-erect. Uh would be <laughs> Turkey. Okay. Is that helping you get a little bit your bearings yeah. a little bit? Yeah. And so um that body of water right below Sarmatia mm -hmm. is the Black Sea. Okay. And the then the one to the, the right is, one. is the Caspian Sea. Okay. Now, what is the, the body of water down at the very bottom on to, just to the left of the word Arabia? I um, Is that the Dead Sea? No, that's the Sinai. Uh, the Dead Sea is... I am going to live Google the map. And yeah, please do. <laughs> anyway, um because <laughs> i recognize the shape and i'm like i know it's frustrating shape. you i know i know it's driving me bonkers <laughs> so but anyway you see where that little word dacia is above the roman empire it's the red sea oh it's the red sea that's the red sea really yeah okay, cool yeah that what like else? pencil looking it's the tall slender with the little point yep. sticking out of the, the top of it yeah that's the red sea okay cool cool yeah okay Anywhoosie. So back to the script. Uh, um, you see Dacia. Uh, yes. There's Sarmatia and the Roman Empire and squeezed in between is Dacia. Yes. It's on the coast of the Black Sea. And today we know it as Romania. Oh, okay. And right on the coast was a town called Thomas. All right. And I just like to share a fun little fact about how this town got its name. And this is a little excerpt from a dude named Jordanes, who was an Eastern Roman, a.k.a. Byzantine-ish bureaucrat okay. in the 6th okay. century CE. Okay. So, other Jen, if you would. Oh, oh, I got to read something. Else. Yeah. I was still looking at the map. <laughs> okay. Focus. After, <clears throat> after achieving this victory against Cyrus the Great... And winning so much booty from her enemies, Queen Tomiris mm -hmm. crossed over into that part of Moesia, Moesia, yep. which is now called Lesser Scythia, a name borrowed from Great Scythia and built on the Moesian shore of the Black Sea, the city of Tomai, named after herself. So and she when she takes over, she gets a whole bunch of booty. Yep. <laughs> and I hope she really did. I really right. hope she did. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> names this little town after herself. Amen. I love it. And I know it's a little off track, but it's so rare we get to shout out badass women in the ancient yeah. world. I want a town named Other Jen. <laughs> I, you know, if we buy the cult compound we've been talking about we can make that happen there you go <laughs> so yeah this scythian queen took on cyrus the great or cyrus the great of persia which was at the best of times a wicked hard enemy to beat and at the worst of times i mean we all saw that movie with gerard butler's abs i mean 300 right nope 
You've never seen well, you've never seen three hundred. Why would I see three hundred? Does it have princesses? It has his abs. Does it have happy ending? It has abs. It has a platoon of hot abs. <laughs> that's the whole reason to watch it. Okay, so that's going to be a <laughs> Patreon thing that we're going to do because we'll watch it and then. Oh, we could do a whole under the the reeducation of other gen. There's going to be a whole Patreon rabbit hole of movies Jen should have seen but never has. Yeah. And so we'll put 300 in there as well as the Magic Mike movies. <laughs> do we have to watch those? Anyway. Appar- allegedly, we do. <laughs> I'll watch the first one. I heard the first one was good, so I'll do that one. But anyway. Yes. Back to back to Daisha. <laughs> okay. Yes. So Thomas became this lovely little port city, and it still exists today. Oh, cool. Though they've renamed it Constanta. No. What? It's what? just Constanta, not Constantinople. Oh, not there is no my, there might be giant song here. It's it's in my head. It's there. <laughs> Istanbul, it's Constantinople. It's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I saw that they might be giants live in concert when I was mm-hmm. very, 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 very young. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah, they were amazing. Uh, And there are stories about that concert that will live on forever, (laughs) which might end up on Patreon. You never know. Anyway, um, but basically, if one had to flee Rome for one's life after being exiled by a very pissed off emperor, Mm -hmm. Thomas wouldn't have been a bad choice. Okay. You know, it's kind of like if you had to be exiled to Florida. Ugh. I mean, you could settle in... I don't, I don't know if it, uh, it, it'd be like settling in Miami, I guess. Hmm. Like the one bright spot where you can settle, right? I, I want to put me no, on No, you're Disney not settling. Property. I will not allow you to settle in Orlando. Disney property. Put me on the Disney campus and I'm good. I'll put you in that abandoned. <laughs> the abandoned water park. <laughs> right by the lake with the brain-eating amoeba. Yeah, that was last week on Patreon. Anyway, um, the Scythian and Sarmatian people there were extremely welcoming, even to fucking Ovid. Wow. So who was Ovid, a.k.a. our soft-boiled motherfucker? Hi, Gilly. Hi, Gilly. Gilly. <laughs> we came up with that name when we guested on his podcast. Yes. And yeah, because Ovid really is something else. Yeah. He is hailed as one of the great poets and a father of literature. Boring. And I'm like, yeah, if you like your literature sloppy and full of cringe inducing misogynistic purple prose, sure. Mm. Now we have encountered Ovid before. We met him when, as I said, we did our guest appearance on Gilly's podcast and talking about Medusa. Right. He also gave us a lovely little rapey story about the world's first sex doll. I mean, Pygmalion and Galatea. Oh, right. I forgot that came from him. Yeah. I remember the story, but I forgot who it came from. And how much she enjoyed suddenly coming to the life. Coming to life in the middle of being penetrated. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay. Not horrifying at all. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, any of the other super icky representations of romance and consent that we have talked about when it comes to mythology. Yeah. So who was he? Publius Ovidius Naso. Okay. He was actually no- known to his contemporaries as Naso. Um was born March 20th, 43 BCE, and he was born in the region of Italy now known as Abruzzo, or basically the mid-calf of the boot. (laughs) Okay. So we're coming up on his birthday. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. We're also coming up on uh, the anniversary of the death of Caesar. Mm-hmm. Fun times. We are. Yep. Um, so he had an older brother, and both boys were actually quite bright and pretty darn good at oratory and rhetoric, making their father extremely proud and hopeful that they would have splendid careers as lawyers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, well... Having lawyers in the family is always handy, though, especially during this time. It was a little chaotic, you know, 44 BCE, just a year before Ovid's birth, a couple of Roman senators had just made so much shish kebab out of Gaius Julius Caesar. (laughs) And it's kind of like if Ovid had been born in 1777, Uh, okay, (laughs) 1776, you know, like, that was the year of the revolution. And, yes. you know, oh, we had a baby in 1777. Um, hey, maybe he should be a congressman. That'd be helpful. <laughs> right. <clears throat> anyway, right. Ovid's older brother died at the age of 20. And Aww. yeah, this seems to have had a deep impact naturally on him, but also given him a real turning point in his life, which is totally understandable. Sure. Um. Although I don't think his father saw it that way because he said he was going to renounce studying law, give up his desk job as an entry-level bureaucrat, and was going to be a poet. Wow. And that went over as well as anyone could expect. Mm -hmm. Ovid confines himself to simply saying his father was disappointed. Not mad, just disappointed. Wow. Okay. Um, speaking of disappointments, <laughs> Ovid was probably kind of a disappointment in the marriage department as well. Okay. For various reasons, I'm sure. He had married three times and divorced twice by the time he was 30. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Divorce is that easy to... It, it's not particularly hard at this time time in Roman history, like, uh, and especially if you're a man and a citizen. Okay. It's a lot easier if you're a uh, free, but not citizen woman. No, you're shit out of luck. But if you're a citizen, yeah, you know what I mean? Got it. Got it. Anyway, um, he did have a daughter, though I couldn't find out by which wife. I probably could, but I didn't honestly care that much. Um, But also don't get excited for wife number three, because he wrote a whole series of poems in a book called The Loves, 
for his mistress, Corinna. Oh, my God. Oh, and newsflash, he cheated on her, too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Real classy guy. The reason Parker was in Ovid makes me so full of rage is Mm -hmm. he does what a lot of not so great male authors today do. And, you know, my work as a writer and as an editor, I have encountered a lot of this. When men think they write women really, really well. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And especially, like, if they think they're being really literary about it and, like, cool and, you know, I'm really just going with the jive of, like, vibe of being, like, in a woman's body and thinking about it. And guaranteed, the moment I see that, yeah, like, slant in their text, I'm like, he's going to mention nipples in the next two pages. Boom. Yeah. It's like yeah. they're it it it's like a tick. They're obsessed. It it happens. Like, really? Really? <laughs> I'm just gonna say no, not as often as you think we think about them. And yeah. Um, but yeah, Ovid writes a lot about women. Uh, yeah. For women about women, for men about women. Um some of his most famous works include the heroides or the uh, female heroines. And okay. he writes about mythical heroines. And actually, I did reference uh, Ovid uh, and the heroides when we did In for a Penelope, In for a Pound. I remember that one. Yep. Um, he wrote The Amores. The Loves, which is about Corinna and his love for her, his affair with her servant, her affairs with other other men, that time she dyed her hair, the time Ovid didn't want her to go on vacation, and there's also a lament for her dead parrot. Oh, my God. (gasps) I read, I I was like, what? Excuse me. And I read it. And I'm pretty damn sure (sighs) Ovid is being an asshole and trolling Corinna for being sad about her pet's death. Oh, what an asshole. Yeah, I have this poem. After we're done recording, we'll look at it. It may end up on Patreon. I'm just saying. I'm already writing it down in the red ink as I hit. Like it's got to happen. She has one Um, of those like multicolor clicker pens. No, I I have multiple Sharpies, but I keep the the red one here handy for like future notes. I thought you had like the the click, you know, those pens that's blue on the bottom, white on the top, and they have like five different colors no those are too pedestrian for me (laughs) i do beg your pardon (laughs) yes i said that i absolutely said that i remember in the 80s those were the fucking coolest things oh yes yes when i was a kid you were cool if you had one of those but now it's um shout out to sharpie s gel pens um, hi, Sharpie. We love you. If you want to sponsor us. <laughs> I was just trying to um, remember the words for that. <laughs> um, Ooh, okay. Here we go. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm writing it down. Then we're going to read the, the dead parrot lament. Okay. So some of his other work uh, includes Medicamina Fasciae Feminae, which translates so, to women's facial cosmetics. He writes about cosmetics. Only a hundred lines of this survive, but it's basically all like beauty advice. Oh, 
TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, Ancient Rome called and wants their beauty influencer title back. Oh my God, we're reading this too. <laughs> okay, I, I can find that. That's not a problem. I'm just saying it's... I've yeah. written down dead parrot lament and makeup tips. And there's also <laughs> that poem he wrote about Corinna dyeing her hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But anyway, then he decided to go a little Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh-oh. Well, Fifty Shades of Grey meets men are from Mars, women are from Venus. He wrote Ars Amatoria, or The Art of Love. Okay. In this, Ovid teaches, or tries to teach, men how to seduce women and how to keep a lover interested. Okay. He also mansplains to women how to seduce a man. <laughs> and then he goes on and he practically gets a cramp from patting himself on the back so hard about how he also teaches women how to avoid the traps of seduction that he just spent the first half of his book teaching men. Oh my God. We got to do like a book club. We got to record the Ovid book club. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus be a fence. I know he, he, he was born like not too long around this time period. I'm just saying <laughs> he could do it. I mean, he was divine, right? Like <laughs> that's what they say. I, I don't mean to offend anyone. But, uh, oh my God. Hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you know that my humor goes to odd places oh. anyway. Yeah. But you know, after he wrote Ars Amatoria, he wrote Remedia Amoris, the remedy of love. Oh, my God. Because if for some reason, gods know why, the advice in his other book doesn't work, here's how to get over love that's unrequited. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm pretty sure the advice in this book works about as well as the other book. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. <clears throat> metamorphosis is the next one and this is where Ovid took a stab at being really highbrow and giving us his retelling of all the major myths to and it runs to 15 volumes and okay. he organized it by geography and ostensible timeline I mean like this is the ancient equivalent of color coding hmm but okay. the metamorphoses we've used as sources in multiple Right. Episodes. And yeah, that's familiar. Yeah, this is about as good and non cringy as you think it would be. Okay. And um, we're going to pause here because oh. he was just getting started on his next bestseller called Festivals. Oh. When Rome up and banished him. Oh, about damn time. Well, don't get your hopes up that Romans actually developed good taste and decided that they didn't like his fan fiction versions of mythology. <laughs> so his writing might have had something to do with it. It might yeah. not have, too. So who the fuck knows? Okay. Basically, for a guy who whinged about everything, he didn't give so much as an actual useful hint about why he was exiled. Oh. Infuriating. So which, I mean, that basically tells us that he fucked up. And he I mean, doesn't want to admit it. Put, oh, put a fucking pin in that one. Okay. All we know is it had to do with Emperor Augustus. And okay. Augustus was born as Octavian, which basically means his parents were tired of having kids and literally named him number eight, mm. which would actually be really sad if you're an only child because you're number one, but you're your own participation trophy because there's no one else. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, Octavian was the nephew of Julius Caesar Salad. Yes. And about a year or so after Uncle Uncle Salad (laughs) turned into Uncle Shish Kebab, he's like, oh, hi, I'm going to be emperor now. Okay, thanks. Bye. Oh, okay. Like, there's a lot of chaos and blah, blah, blah. Like, the year Ovid is born, shit's kind of crazy. And Octavian's like, "Um, I actually like the name Augustus, and I'm going to make myself emperor. Yay! Wow. And I got the military behind me. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. don't even think about it, motherfuckers. So basically, the reign of Augustus is full of its own shittiest set of mini episodes. And I literally wrote a paper about it in college. I found a file folder of my old academic papers. Ah. I might post some of them on uh, Patreon because some of them are like my professors didn't believe in just straight up dry, boring research assignments like okay we had one of my professors gave us creative writing prompts Mm -hmm. where we would have to write uh like so i had to write augustus's autobiography oh okay so it had to be cited and sourced and um there was a class i did on Hellenistic Egypt with the same professor and she had us write you know short again short stories like a series of funerary stila but footnoted based on things we read in actual primary source papyri interesting yeah okay yeah so anyway <clears throat> but basically Augustus was touchy to say the least and okay. Ovid could have tripped over any number of things to cause his exile I mean, like with most Roman emperors to follow, there was a conspiracy to assassinate Augustus. Surprise. I no. mean, you <laughs> practically couldn't be a Roman emperor without at least one assassination conspiracy per year. Like, that's a requirement yeah. going forward. That's kind of the gist I've learned from you through yeah. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. People are horrible. Um, Augustus's grandchildren were probably involved in this one, resulting in the banishment of the two of them and execution of one of their husbands. Whoa. And since Ovid, being the soft-boiled motherfucker he is, liked to rub shoulders with influencers, celebrities, and politicians, he probably knew these grandkids um, since they were probably contemporaries and close in age, and it's not impossible that he would know about that conspiracy because he's a gossipy little fucker. Oh. So we think this is what... Well... Got, we're speculating. Possibly. Or do you find, did you find receipts? Uh, I, I found receipts, but the timestamps are smudged and I'm not sure what card he used. Let's put it that way. All right. So, you know, uh, his literary fame and or infamy would have made it a little awkward to execute him. But then again, the Romans never really had a problem executing anyone. So if it's a conspiracy against the emperor, which is fucking treason. Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't be a big hurdle to get over in terms of should I execute him or exile him? Hmm, What do I feel like today? Right. Um, Another theory is what I like to call bad luck with publishing. (laughs) Oh, okay. His work, Ars Amoria, came out uh, 
in a time when Augustus had forced the Roman Senate to pass a ton of really strict morality laws to encourage monogamy and hopefully increase the birth rate because the population numbers were falling. And yes, the Romans actually kept track of shit like that. God damn it. Wow. But what have we learned? What it means when they pass laws prohibiting or encouraging something. That the people are going to do the opposite. Or have been doing the opposite. A lot. They're passing the law because people have been doing the opposite. Exactly. So basically, at this point, um, people were sleeping around, swinging, and not being subtle about it because they didn't give a fuck. Okay. (laughs) They They weren't just doing it, but they were doing it to an extreme. Like, it was... I mean, yeah. All right. So, but I'm going to call possible shenanigans because these laws were passed in 18 BCE. Okay. The Ars Amoris, the Fifty Shades of Mansplaining, were published in 1 BCE. Okay. Mm, You know, uh, 13 years later, is my math right? No, 18 minus one. Oh, I was thinking 12, <laughs> counting back. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> 19 years later. Or 17. No, because, oh, oh yeah, sorry. I, I didn't, I forgot. <laughs> it's a BCE instead of a CE because he was exiled in 8 CE. See, the numbers are fucking me up. Okay. This is why I don't like numbers. They trick you. <laughs> so the laws are passed in... 18 BC. Yeah. 17 years later in the year 1 BCE, he publishes his book. Right. Nine years after that, in the year 8 CE, he gets kicked out. Right. There you go. Uh, And I mean, I know things could take a little longer to ferment and people remembered things for a longer time. Like, you know, you could see a play 10 years ago and people were just, you know, we did that episode on ancient education and, you know, memorization and remembering things. It, it was much more, um, uh, you know, it, it was just innate it was more a part of the culture than we have today because we Google everything. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, So, but I still, I mean, that's a long time. That's like close to 30 years. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gold star. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I get a gold star for that one. Come on. Yeah. Coming from my math skills, yeah. It's great. <laughs> so anyway, um, one modern scholar, I, I, I read this theory and I was like, really? I, he has actually had a couple of little supporters um, and he thinks that Ovid was never exiled and that his later works, which include volumes entitled Sadness oh and God. Letters from the Black Sea, <laughs> were all just products of his imagination. Like it was a big thought experiment. Um, okay. 
I'm going to say no, because Ovid could have couldn't have resisted giving the joke away and congratulating himself. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, there he the level of whininess he gets up to in the letters uh, he writes to his wife complaining about his life in exile. Um, And apparently his wife doesn't have to go into exile with him and is like, I'll take care of stuff here at home in Rome with my pool boy. Bye. Here's a question. What's the possibility that he thought he was going to go like on a sabbatical and I'm going to go off to this wonderful place and do all of this wonderful writing. And then he gets there and realizes, oh, this was a shitty idea, but he doesn't want to admit it was a shitty idea. So he actually complain. He uh, claims I am shocked that he didn't claim that idea for himself. And so he claims that it was exile to save face from making a bad decision. I mean, if we didn't have the actual imperial decree, oh, I'd be one hundred percent like I could see him doing that. Got it. Okay, but we have the decree. We we have unfortunately the legal receipts on that one. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And as for Ovid giving us any real re, but I I have to say I just jumping back for a second because yeah. that's really brilliant deduction on your part. That's like <laughs> Thank you. Two if not three gold stars. Oh fuck yeah. Just for that level of analysis. Yeah. <laughs> Getting into his personality. Yeah. But it's- you're also like you're doing what I had what had to be beaten into me through years of <laughs> you know <laughs> academic training, which is when you read something you see, you know, you have what's there, but then you have to look at how it's approached, what the personality would have been, what the, you know, mindset of people at that point would have, like, right, you know, it, it's detective work, it's psychology, and you have to have a high degree of cynicism and skepticism. Being boy, like, oh boy, do I have heavy doses of right? Those. Like <laughs> the world missed something when somebody turned you the wrong way on history. But yeah, yeah. I mean, in, I was able at to least you're make here to that, help me do the math. Yeah, I was able to make this speculation because there is in my present world an individual that I could relate to this. It's like, oh, this is sounds a whole lot like this person I know in real life. I didn't get fired. I quit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known people like that. Like, yeah, we have issues in our politics today like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But the, I, I know somebody firsthand who... The, I was like, huh, this person would not be able to own up to having made a bad decision. They, It would be somebody else's fault. Yeah. I mean, gas lighting before there was gas. Yeah. Torch lighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or in, in this person I know, it's playing the, the victim a lot as well. But anyway. I mean, Ovid does that too. Beautifully. Beautifully. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. As for Ovid giving us any real reason or clue as to why he was exiled. He says, 
this much. He calls the cause Carmen et Error, a poem and a mistake. Huh. Okay. And basically he says his crime was worse than murder and more harmful than poetry because, I mean, shit, it's got to be pretty bad considering his poetry. But he's like, but for the sake of my Caesar and my life, I cannot say more. Oh. Is he like trying to say he's under gag order? That's kind of the backhanded meaning I took from it. Yeah. Like, I'd tell you, but I'm not allowed. Right. Like, like you. <laughs> I'm vague booking, so go ask him about it. <laughs> When in reality, they kicked you out because you're just annoying as fuck. Well, like, it's like he put his relationship status with Augustus as complicated. Right. And he put a vague book up like, gotta go. Wish I could send you a postcard with everything. Bye, Augustus. You know, like, that's what it would be like today. Right. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think he wrote a limerick about Augustus that somehow got out. <laughs> and so I decided to give it a try. Oh, shit. Because I love writing limericks. Okay. All right. There once was a Roman named Gus, whose claims to the throne were quite sus. He said it was he that Caesar wanted to be crowned with laurels once Caesar was dust. Oh, shit. That was great. Uh, okay. I kind of like this one better. Okay. All hail our emperor named Eight. We th all think his rule is just great. His <laughs> laws are quite strict, except he's been tricked. The orgies tonight don't be late. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love this. I mean, you know, yeah. Augustus is getting old and kind of touchy, so <clears throat> anything could set him off. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Anyway, Ovid packed up his tabulae, his stela, his ostraca. I mean, <laughs> maybe Ostraca then, maybe they were, but he was a writer, and we all know writers who have four-year-old post-it notes, <clears throat> not oh. like me, that they keep because there's something on it they want to use eventually. Yep. <laughs> I I don't have a closet door covered in post-it notes. Um, and he went off to Thomas on the Black Sea to end his days, which did end 10-ish years later. Okay. Either in 17 or 18 CE. Wow. So he was exiled in eight and he died. Um, date is mushy between 17 Got and 18. It. And so I now forgot he actually what year comes was he born? How old was he? I forgot uh, what year he was, he was born. born 43, counting okay. backwards. Okay. So I lost my place. Where did I go? So 43 <laughs> down to zero and then add 17 or 18. Got it. So around 60. Sounds good to me. I'm going to go with your math. Yeah. <laughs> around 60-ish years old. Yeah. And I'm refilling one more time because. I hear. We still have a ways to go. 
Oh, I know. I'm looking at the little scroll bar on the right. Well, the, to be honest, the last three pages are just links. I, I was lyrics, but hoping. <laughs> yeah, the last like, three pages. I mean, the parrot poem is in the last three pages. So, <laughs> like, we don't have a whole lot of images. There's, we'll have to get a. There's a big eventually... image coming up. Okay, we'll have to get oh, the image of the the mushroom and the the what red bell pepper. <laughs> um, I keep scrolling and I keep losing my place. I'm going to stop scrolling now. Yeah, okay. it, you, you might hear the dogs start to get a little, the natives oh, start yeah. to get a little restless. Uh, yeah, we hear the, the feet on the floor. And well, the, yeah, so horse, yeah. Um, I, it, and it kills me to admit this, but because of my height, I have a little <laughs> uh, adjustable foot rest from Ikea <laughs> because to get my hair to my uh, chair at a height for the yes. desk, <laughs> my feet don't touch. anyway it, it's one of those like adjustable but it teeter totters like it okay it, and horseradish steps on it sometimes and he's like whoa what the fuck just happened here yeah <laughs> um he also likes to come and when it's time for dinner he bumps his butt up against the bottom of my chair yeah and we're getting close to his dinner time it, it is technically five yeah. minutes past but anyway yes um <clears throat> We now actually come to the reason I chose this particular angle for this topic okay. because sometimes I have to muck around on Google for a while looking for inspiration, <laughs> especially when I'm trying to make like a really weird connection. Like when I did Greek Norsevember. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but I found a painting. Oh, you might or might not have seen it. Okay. It's by Eugène Delacroix, and it's called Ovid Among the Scythians. Oh. And it was painted in 1859 and now lives in the National Gallery in London. I'm pretty sure we went to the National Gallery in London. So I downloaded the image from the National Gallery, and I did have to brighten it just so it shows be up better on a computer screen because we old. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And I'm zooming in, magnifying yeah. on the screen. I'm going to But I actually did find and paste the description of it for you from ah. the National Gallery. Okay. Do you want, I see you want, you have things for me to read. Well, do why you don't want, you do the, read the description first and then give your impression of it. Okay. I'll read theirs. Yeah. All right. Although, holy, oh my Wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up. What is this dude doing to the horse? You see the horse? Oh, he's milking it. He's milking a horse? Yeah, nomadic. That's really what I see? Horse-oriented nomadic cultures, such as the Scythians, uh, Siberian tribes, Mongolians, Chinese, okay. Russians, like... The Vikings milking horses was a thing. Oh my god! They even have horse milk, fermented horse milk liquor. Oh shit! Okay, I'm writing that down. Deep dive. Oh my god! Deep dive. Horse <laughs> milk. Who knows? It could be a form of lactose you can tolerate. Oh shit! Oh my god! <laughs> we have okay. found a way for Jen to have cheese. <gasps> oh, I horse cheese. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. Continue. The, Carry on. Yes. National Carry Gallery. In. Delacroix. 
Did I say that well? De la croix. De la croix. De la croix. De, de la croix. Of the croix. <laughs> of the cross. Of the croix. Oh! Duh. Okay. De la croix depicts the kindness shown to Ovid, wearing a blue toga by a group of Scythians who offer him food and milk <clears throat> while others look on. In keeping with the classical subject, the balanced distribution of figures across the painting echoes the structure of a Roman frieze, 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 and mm -hmm. also recalls the landscapes of 17th century French artists such as Claude and Nicolas Poussin, 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 Nick. <laughs> Nikki Poussin. Nikki, Nikki Poussin. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, oh. thank God so, there isn't a hell. Yeah. Be so their, oh, their description their description is that you have Ovid surrounded by a, a sparse group of Scythians, and it's they the artist has balanced the placement of the people in the picture to create the visual balance of, so that the picture's not too heavy on the left or the right. I'm not wrong. My husband taught me this, his uh, master's degree in illustration. We're going to have to have him on uh, when you do your art history class. Oh, my God. Yes. It's going to be so good. Anyway. Yeah. And it's... So that's basically what they're saying. And they're saying, you know, the this group of Scythians are just kind of offering him some kindness and some hospitality, which and, again, yeah, even through the early to mid 20th century, like, you know, we have very civilized and dainty ideas of hospitality yeah. in our American culture today. But yeah, you know, like I was always taught when you go somewhere, you never go Manscorlando, which is um, an Istrian dialect phrase from my mom that means hands flapping in the wind. You never show up empty handed. Yeah, because if you're holding something, your hands can't flap in the wind. <laughs> oh, my God. And um, she's like, you're not going to Jen's Manscorlando. Yeah. And no, I, I came bearing Fenrir. You did. <laughs> but anyway... <clears throat> So, yeah, this picture, you know, um, Delacroix makes uh, Ovid stand out because he puts him in a white tunic with a dark blue toga. Yes. Wrapped around him. And the other colors are reds and browns and golds. And, you know, they're not the green of the field in the background, but they're also very sort of natural earthy colors. And that degree of blue is a very posh color because it requires requires a complicated dye. It makes me to fabric. think of Mary. Yeah, Mary is so often depicted in white and this color blue. That's, 
I, I need a moment because my yes. mind has you could have processed blown that. and I need to pick up the fragments and yeah. put them back on my skull as opposed <laughs> to the poor <laughs> kids who had their skull from last week from Hot Drunk News. Um, um, yeah. You always see Mary in this col- the same shade of blue and, and white. I would not have been ignorant of that. Mm-hmm. Make right, especially with that time period. Yeah. This is a genuine topic I need to dig into. Okay. Because now I'm angry because I don't know something. Um, that's And that's <laughs> a good Sam episode. So what do you want me to write down? Um, white, blue, Delacroix, Mary representation. Okay. Got it. And peeps, listeners, people who love us and whom we really, really, really love. Uh, yeah, this is how like shit generally happens on the episode and in production. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is not, this is not anything other than like what we actually sound like when we talk to each other. So anyway, yes, we are um, past the hour mark. We need to like, yeah. Okay. I mean, it is kind of starting to wrap up a little bit. Yeah. Sort of. Um, but anyway, I doubt that Ovid just landed in a field like that. I mean, from the look of the painting, right. and we will post this with the actual episode because <clears throat> it's key. Um, yeah. But it kind of looks like it's almost like he's a a meteorite that fell <laughs> to earth and whoop, here he is in the middle of a field. Or they stumbled upon him and he was napping. Right. And he, um, he's like, oh, there are people around. <laughs> but I mean, to be honest, think about, think back to our, a fucking Roman holiday. Okay. Or Roman fucking holiday. Uh, yeah. I think it was fucking Roman holiday <laughs> anyway, but we <laughs> talked about the caravans of carts that they would travel with. Okay. You know, he'd be bringing his, a bunch of slaves. He'd be bringing household goods. He'd be bringing scrolls, clothing, you know, he'd have to have food for the journey. And, you know, it was hot and uncomfortable in those carts. So I could imagine he's actually, um, he is actually resting and like catching okay. a breather. So maybe he was taking a nap. <laughs> he probably was taking a fucking nap. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like Delacroix had access to all the research and different viewpoints we have now. He would have read Ovid and kind of taken him at his word. and. You know, Ovid, uh, before and to be honest, probably after he mm-hmm. met the Scythians and ended up living amongst them, referred to them as a wild tribe. Mm. Which, okay, well, you know, despite okay. their yeah. kindness, you know, um, yeah. y- y- we all know how people refer to other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, but the fact is the Scythians took him in. Well, despite how bad his poetry was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Now, he did continue writing for those last 10 years. He finished up the festivals. Okay. And um, he also wrote the Ibis Tristan. Uh, Tristia or sorrows, or I call it sadness because it's kind of more cringy and whiny, just like him. Ah, 
but sorrows is the actual translation of tristia. Okay. Um, he also wrote letters from the Black Sea, again, which I don't <laughs> think came from his imagination, which he described not just his life in Thomas, but um, according to uh, folks who've read and sort of analyzed it from not a literary, but sort of a psychological perspective, uh -huh. they're like, yeah, these letters actually reveal the psychological and emotional damage that being a refugee and living in exile can actually do over the long term. Oh, so I suspect that he probably had it a fuck ton better than so many refugees even today, but that's right. all right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I can, you know, we'll get, we'll get, put a pin in that, put a pin yeah. in that uh, long-term damage. Even um, assholes can suffer psychological and emotional damage. I, I have ultimate compassion for people's pain, people's private pain. Mm -hmm. I don't have compassion when they take that out inappropriately on people who don't deserve it. There you go. Perfectly said. Um, and in 2017. Yes. The city council of Rome. Yes. Voted to revoke Ovid's exile. What? To repair a serious wrong done to the poet. Why? Why? <sighs> I, I mean, Who's too bad he's been dead for 2,000 years and can't right. doesn't know what the fuck you've done for him, but because he wasn't even a Christian. <laughs> Motherfucker. He even died before Christ died on the cross. Oh, like, my so, God. Yeah. He wasn't even a thing. Oh, my God. What, what was their motive in doing this? What are they hoping to? What was the goal? What was the end game? I don't understand this. <laughs> Publicity. Publicity Because for what? the story of this okay. brought a positive and inquisitive angle to coverage of the city council. And my guess is there had probably been shocking, I know, for uh, the Roman city politics some sort of scandal or issue or unpopularity thing and they're like you know what let's get or or something that might have even it probably would have been impacting on the international market and from a pr perspective i'm like let's do something that will at least intrigue people and distract them i think this was a distraction tactic but i don't have the time to go back and research what was actually gotcha. happening in roman city politics in 2017 despite right. the fact that i was actually in Italy at the time. Oh, well. Yeah, okay. I was visiting a family that lives uh, not too far outside of Milan, but uh, gotcha. Milano. Cool. Okay. But anyway, yeah, they did it for Ovid, who was dead for 2,000 years. Wow. And okay. I mean, like I said, <laughs> he does, mm -hmm. he's not even wasn't christianity wasn't even a thing then right so, yeah anyway um but let's hope it doesn't take that long for the world to step up and repair the serious wrong that yeah. is still being done to the ukrainians mm -hmm. and, you know also to the people of russia yeah the so, the the citizens the citizens yes yeah so they fucking end back after this with questions and shit yay or not. Now return to the Trunk Mythology Gals for part two 
questions and shit. So, I promised you rage. Yes. I delivered with the Romans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But I I want us to be better than the Romans. Okay. And I do too. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, we laugh and sometimes laughing is the only way to get through things. Yeah. Um, So if I laugh as I rage through this, it's file it under coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, But I, I think, you know, even in our own small way, in our own small corner, you know, if somebody ever studies the esoteric category of historical focused podcasts in the early 2000s. Um, I want the white feather in my cap. There uh, you go. Yeah. Which is a reference to Cyrano de Bergerac. But anyway, um, I want to, this next segment, uh, yes. let's file under, can we please just stop this shit? Yeah. Because according to the Office of United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, as of February 26th, 2023, there have been 8,006 civilian deaths in Ukraine. I'm, that number's lower than I expected. And that, I'm not sure... Well, I'm not sure what that deaths. says. Those yeah. are civilian deaths. Those yeah. are non-combatants. But 488 it's, of those yeah. deaths were children. It's 488 too many. It's, How many people yeah. went to your daughter's high school? Um, How many graduated? I, uh, I mean, a couple hundred? I want to say her graduating class. Gosh, I'm I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say two fifty, maybe three hundred. So, let's just say the junior and senior year of her high school. Yeah, those classes gone. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. Um, thirteen thousand. 479 people have been injured. Civilian Ukrainian civilians have been injured, although the United Nations believes it might be much, much more. And right, right. I I did dig a lot on statistics because the one math class I took in grad school was statistics. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm hesitant to claim authority on a lot of things when it comes to t- statistics. So sure. I go with the lower number. Right, right. But things that I found that seem legit, but I didn't feel comfortable would double or even triple that number. Mm, yeah. yeah. But of that 13,479, 962 of the injured would be children. Wow. Wow. That doesn't include like the maternity hospitals that would be bombed, you know, Mm, right, you know, and for combatants, 
I mean, this was just civilians. For combatants, the numbers and kind are kind of hard to pin down because whatever number you pick has a lot of political and potential propaganda behind it. But from all the various sources that I looked at, including U.S. and Russian sources and Ukrainian sources and international blah, 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 I feel most comfortable going with U.S. intelligence estimates because they admit the loosey-goosey nature of it. Right, right, right. Um, close, as of February 26th, close to 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since the start of the war last oh, year. That's, that's... Mm. I mean, when I was growing up, this this India, Indianapolis was 100,000 people. Wow. Portland, Maine, mm -hmm. when I would go there in the early 90s, yeah, 100,000 people. Yeah. Um, around 200,000 Russian soldiers have been killed, and it is much likely a, it, it is more likely a much higher number. Wow. Yeah. And I am including them because, first of all, nobody should have to die in this fucking war, but a lot of them have been forcibly conscripted. Like, there have been a lot of stories leaking out of Russia about young men fleeing to the border because the conscription efforts are literally like going old school 17th, 18th century Europe, right. grabbing people off the street. Wow. And a life is a life. So let's just stop fucking killing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also refugees, because mm -hmm. not everybody who gets damaged is holding a gun. Right. Um, back to the UN. 18.9 million Ukrainians wow. have crossed the border into neighboring countries seeking refuge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. France's population is about 60 million. Okay. And California is uh, about the same size as France. So that would be like literally a third of France or California being like, we got to leave. Damn. And wow. we're yeah. going to emigrate into Washington, Oregon, uh, Arizona, you know, Nevada. That's it. Right. Yeah. Um, internally, Inside Ukraine, 5.9 million Ukrainians are displaced. Like they can't, they don't even have like a way of getting out. they've been out of their apartments. Wow. And so they're just like homeless. They're homeless, living in shelters, living in subway stations that have been converted into bomb shelters. Oh, okay. And uh, none of this touches on the deep, deep physical, social economic and psychological scars and trauma that this is going to cause for decades to oh, come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very, very strongly on this aspect of it, you know, mm -hmm. on both sides, because yep. my mom is a world war II refugee from Croatia. Right. We've talked about that. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm just going to say that 
as a refugee who came here when she was, you know, 10 and a half, there are some things that never, ever get better. Right. And you can look at things in her life and trickle down effect in your life. Yeah. That are directly driven from that. I mean, there's a whole genre of study of uh, sort of the psychological impact and guilt trauma that yeah. the children of survivors feel. Yeah. So, you know, when I say decades, I mean decades. Yeah. Um, and but I don't even count myself, you know, I don't count myself among that, you know, because She's the one who lived it. Like when right. there were those images coming out from the border of children and families and being separated and people in camps and in children in cages. She's like, you know, that was me 50 years ago. Right. You know, why is this still 60 years ago? Why is this still happening? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Let's talk about something that's specific to our podcast and that we have ranted about before on Hot Drunk News episodes. Yes. File under put shit back where you found it. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I need to. Oh, I, and I rant by that the way, my husband half the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, we wouldn't have. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. I yeah, put shit back where you found it. In your house, in your office, wherever you are, just do it. All um, over the world. <laughs> so last year, some of the images that I included in, in our episode had this beautiful gold work. Okay. Um, if, if you look at the image that's right here in the script. Yes. I'm zooming in. It looks like um, a necklace. It's a call. It's called a collar, basically. Okay. Yep. It would settle over your collarbone. It's big. Yeah. It looks huge. And holy cow, it is so intricately detailed. I think Solid I gold. Yeah. I think I see deer or maybe livestock bulls, I, there's all kinds of animals griffins, you've got lions <laughs> yeah i'm like i gotta i'm already zoomed in at 200 percent, but i need to zoom in more <laughs> i know i i can't keep zooming in but yeah i mean this is just an example of one of the amazing beautiful intricate pieces of scythian goldsmithing wow and these were displayed proudly in Ukrainian museums. Oh, shit. I know where you're going with this. Guess who Damn fucking it. looted those museums and stole it? And many other items just like it. In May of last year, Russian forces occupying the city of Melitopol in Ukraine, looted a history museum, stealing one of the country's largest collections of Scythian gold. Oh, my God. Its current whereabouts are unknown. 
But my bets are some fucking Russian oligarch's wife is swanning around in that jewelry and has used the rest to decorate her bathroom. It's the amber room all over again. Um, yeah. And I just listened to an article in The New Yorker uh, or in New York Magazine about the illegal antiquities trade. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding when I said it could be on display in the bathroom. Wow. These people Arr. are like, oh, this vase would look great above the tub. <clears throat> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. So this is just one instant uh, instance of the looting and destruction, and <laughs> along with all the archaeological sites that are being destroyed by bombing and shit. So just fucking stop it. Yes. That's yes. the point of this episode. Just fucking stop it. Don't write bad poetry. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't get yourself exiled. Don't invade countries that don't belong to you. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, just don't. Yeah. Don't do the thing. Don't do it. But they do. They always do. Nothing is new. My work here is done. <laughs> Between your brilliant analysis and this moment of existential rage. Yes. Yeah. I could be a hit by a bus tomorrow and you would pick no. up the reins of this oh podcast. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> it would go a whole different direction if I was in charge. We get a completely federal focused podcast. Damn it. <laughs> Fine then. What are you going to teach us about next week? Well, I am steadily working on Asshole Philosophers Part 2, Aristotle, the new NyQuil. Okay. But since next week is next week, I'm going to have to do a Julius Caesar salad. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm looking for different aspects of it. And there are some things that came up in the last episode we did on Julius Caesar salad. Okay. That I'm like, I'm trying to follow up on. We'll see. But it will be a Julius Caesar episode. And then we'll fit in Aristotle at some point. Honestly, this is kind of like how it happened when I had to write my final paper on Aristotle. I put it off and put it off and put it off <laughs> because uh, it, it's frustrating because he's right about a lot of things. Yes. But he's so fucking boring. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. But yep. in the meantime. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because this has been an episode. Um, Subside. Subside. Subscribe. <laughs> I need to subside while you subscribe yourselves to our social media scrolls. We are on Instagram at Drunk Mythology Gals. TikTok at Drunk Mythology Gals. We're on the web at DrunkMythologyGals.com. Patreon at dr uh, Patreon.com slash Drunk Mythology Gals. And yep. I don't even want to mention the email. <laughs> just... Yeah, you know, I, I will say instead that you're probably going to have better luck slipping into our DMs. Yeah. <laughs> because I just like to say a shout out to Jessica. Yes, you told me about Jessica, Jessica from our DMs on Instagram. And I shared them with Jen. And yep. I love your photos. Thank you so much. Yes. Very cool. 
Yeah. And your message came on a day when I really, really needed it. Not just because I was at the dentist, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So um, about our sound, Uh, just want to have a quick note here that our outro today is Oyuluzi, a Ukrainian folk song that Mm -hmm. has become a theme of the global resistance. And this recording started with just one soldier, a lead vocalist for a metal rock band called Boombox, based in the Ukraine. Um, He was on tour in the U.S. And when Putin invaded, uh, he left and came back and signed up to serve. And within the first few weeks of the war, he posted this video of himself singing this song a cappella in an empty, frosty city square. Wow. Yeah. And I actually shared that link with you. And yeah. yeah. Yep. And then a South African musician who goes by the Kiffness got the soldier's permission to duet it on TikTok. And then he added instruments and harmony. Yeah. And they they together agreed to sell the song uh, with all the proceeds going to Ukrainian charity. Yeah. And I will include a link to the track. And if you purchase the song, 100% of the proceeds go to humanitarian aid for the Ukrainian Armed Forces. I purchased it. I made an extra donation. Um, So, yeah, please enjoy this. And I will also include the lyrics um, in English, uh, Roman, Romanization, and in Cyrillic. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of links at the end of this show. So please do check the show notes, um, including for the charities that I mentioned, World Central Kitchen and uh, Tip of the the Spear spear Landmine Removal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I guess it's (laughs) it's kind of hard to switch back into my irreverent sign off, but I guess here we go. (sighs) Thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, hmm, I think invading small country of skull-crushing feminists is a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best I can do. Finally, always remember, if the gods can behave badly, then so can you. Oh, you lose Pokhylilася чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася
Oh,